Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. My name is Lori, and as always, I am here with Sarah. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Daniel, who is going to be talking to us about parenting with BPD. And this is a really common request for an episode from us. Um, It's also something that comes up in Superfeelers Club all the time. And it's really amazing to have um, a father come on and talk about this as well, because generally speaking, the people who are bringing this up to us are moms. Um, So just like a super interesting perspective that I'm really looking forward to. So Daniel, do you want to just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, and then we can start grilling you with questions? That sounds good. Um, And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate everything you guys do and, and uh, all the, all the great information you guys put out there. So it's really uh, sort of a dream come true to, to be on here talking to you guys this morning. Yeah, so my I'm I'm maybe a little skew a little older, I think, than not all of your guests. I know you've had some people that are closer to my age on recently, but I'm in my mid forties. Um, I've been I'm having my twentieth wedding anniversary this summer. Um, so dear God, <laughs> congratulations! Thanks. Um, it's actually my my wife. We met in high school, and we've been together for twenty six years since we were juniors in high school. So, and I have two uh, two kids um, in the sort of grade school, middle school age. Um, and my my uh, sort of journey to recognizing myself as being someone with BPD is a is a pretty recent one. Um, I, and, you know, everyone's got their own story, so I don't want to go into, you know, I could talk forever about, you know, my sort of upbringing and everything, but, you know, I, my household, I think was one growing up that a lot of people looked at and said, oh, you have like the perfect family. Um, You guys never fight. There's never any conflict. Um, Everything, you know, you guys are always busy doing things with each other. Um, And I think that that concealed the fact that um, it was a really emotionally controlling environment. Um, you know, my dad in particular just really couldn't deal with anybody, or I guess me and my brother doing anything that wasn't exactly as he thought it should be. Um, I was three years older than my brother, and you know, not not being an expert on this, but having watched some internet videos, I would say that we definitely were in sort of a golden child scapegoat kind of situation where, you know, being three years older and things came easy for me. I was the the golden child, at least growing up, and he was the, the scapegoat. He was younger. Things came a little harder for him. And so we really just spent a lot of time just trying to please my dad and do exactly what he wanted. Um, he was He was someone who I think instilled black and white thinking really early. So that's been something that's been really a big part of BPD for me, you know, he was the kind of guy who people were good people or bad people. And some of the categories of good people and bad people got really specific. So, you know, fit people were good, fat people were bad. And I use the word fat. I mean, that's like what he would say, you know, um, but also more esoteric, you know, people who were into camping were good people. People who go to the beach were bad people. People who liked books were good people. People who liked video games were bad people. Um, and on and on and on. And so by the time I was, you know, reaching um, my teens, there was this whole list in my mind of like, do these things to be a good person. Don't do these things to be a bad person, you know, it, because then you'll be a bad person, including like listening to pop music on the radio and things like that. If you did that, you were a bad person. Um, and, you know, the, the, the problem with that was that when I, became a teenager and then went away to college was like all of a sudden my parents weren't there all the time anymore to tell me what the things were that good people were supposed to do or bad people were supposed to do. And also there were all these people I was running into who all of a sudden had different ideas about what good people did and bad people did. And so it all got really confusing really fast. Um, And so over the years, you know, I fortunately was able to hold down jobs, but as time went on, you know, I just more and more just wanted to hide out and not really expose myself to 
the world and, you know, give away that I didn't know in situations, what was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. You know, a lot of times I would feel the pull of like wanting to do certain things like go to the beach or listen to pop music, but I felt like I couldn't do that, you know, or at least I couldn't enjoy it. And so I'm sure these are really familiar things to anybody who's listening to this podcast. But so by the time I reached my mid thirties, you know, I was working in a professional type job where, you know, um, I, I really wasn't, I had sort of completely collapsed. I think it's fair to say, you know, I really wasn't showing up anymore mentally, you know, I was hiding from work a lot and, and also sort of running from jobs too, you know, where I would have a job for a while and then things would sort of collapse and run their course. And then rather than, rather than stick around and, and face the, the pain of that, I would, um, find a different job. And so we wound up moving to different cities a lot and things like that. And then in the last few years, like some really interesting things happened that, you know, I just sort of resigned myself to being miserable and things just felt like they were sort of spiraling in a way that was going to really lead to some disaster, um, which is, which is, I think, tough for anybody, but particularly when you have kids, that's like, that's a difficult thing to face. Um, and you know, there were a few things that happened that really sort of like were big changing moments for me. Um, one, strangely enough, was when Trump got elected um, because, you know, my parents who were never sort of like rabidly political people, they didn't, you know, watching TV made you a bad person. So they weren't people who had right wing television on or anything in their house. Um, but for some reason, they decided that they were fine with Trump and or maybe even for him. And it was like the, I just, it, it was too much cognitive dissonance to think here are these people who I'm supposed to be paying attention to what's good and bad and who's a good person and bad person. And yet they've bought into this person who, um, and I don't agree with any, really anything that the right is doing these days, but at the very least, it's like, it was hard for me to see how you couldn't see that he was just sort of bent on hurting people who really were vulnerable you know people who were hurting themselves people who were just trying to get through daily life and he and his followers just seemed so intent on making those people suffer as much as possible and and that really was was a big aha moment um for me well and not um, to, i don't want to interrupt but it's also really interesting that a lot of the just the brief examples you gave of the black and white thinking of like you're, you're good or you're bad I would say that like Trump falls into so many of the bad categories. So like that must've just been incredibly confusing to be like, well, I've been kind of living my whole life battling this like good and bad thing that I've been taught. And then here we are like completely switching that for this one individual, that must be incredibly difficult. You know, it, it was, but also uh, at the same time, it, it, it wasn't in that it was just, the clarity was so shocking. That it was like, oh, oh, uh, actually, like all of these other things that I thought were bad, there clearly can't be anything wrong with them. Because if they, you know what I mean? It's like, if these people are so wrong about this, then I can kind of start to chip away at my feelings about all these other more minor things that I had decided in my mind I couldn't enjoy or that, that were and bad. Like, so form your own identity too, right? That's what's really beautiful about that is that you then got to decide like, oh yeah, I like pop music. I want to go to the beach and probably all of these other things in the middle. Yeah, no, exactly. It gave me some, you know, it sort of started to free things up. Um, in, at, at, the, at the start of the pandemic, um, so this was mid, I, I lose track, um, but mid 2020, um, you know, it had some, things were pretty strained between me and my parents at this point. And I found this article online about um, imposter syndrome, which it was like an older article and it was like sort of academic. And, you know, they were going through, it was like a study that had been done a long time ago where they were looking particularly at women who had grown up in extremely emotionally invalidating environments. And the sort of effects that it had on their ability to to work and their self image. And as I was reading this article, I was like, holy cow, this is, this is describing me. <laughs> this is describing everything about me. 
Um, and so I actually sent it to my parents, you know, partly because I was annoyed with them and partly because I thought part of me thought, man, like given some of the things my dad's talked about, maybe he'll recognize in the way he grew up, some of the things that are in this article and their reaction was, we have no idea what you're talking about. Um, we recognize none of this. And how could you possibly feel that the way that we raised you had anything to do with what's in this article? And I said, you know, that I, I said, you know what, like, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to engage with this. And I think I need some time off. And so I haven't really been in touch with them since then um, on purpose. And that's been a really nice freeing thing for, for me. And, and so I have some thoughts about that later having to do with parenting in particular, but you know, that's, that was another sort of big deal for me was just um, getting some distance from them in, in my, in my life um, has been a big deal. And then, and then, um, so I was in, I was in therapy at this point, my wife uh, had pushed me into it and had found me a therapist. Um, the first one I went to was, she was like fresh out of school and didn't know what she was doing. And she was being over, she was being overseen by this um, psychiatrist who um, was awful. And so like, I would come in and I'd be like, oh, I'm really having trouble because I'm, um, you know, having trouble with, with substance abuse and things like that. And this psychiatrist was, her reaction was, well, if you can't get it under control, then you're going to have, I'm, you're going to have to leave. Like, I can't keep seeing you if you can't get your substance use under control, <laughs> which seemed like an odd reaction for a psychiatrist, <laughs> but it also meant that I stopped talking about it, um, which also doesn't seem like the right thing for that sort of relationship. And so she didn't say like, you know, substance use treatment is not within my like formal training. I'd like to refer you to someone else. Nope. Just that would have been the ethical way to address. Yeah. That. <laughs> right. Now but I'm unfortunately, aware like that happens so often though, at least up here, like psychiatrists are like, well, because you're, I don't know what substances you were using. You can tell us or you don't have to whatever, but like, depending on the substances you're using, they're just like, well, like you're using substances. So therefore you may or may not be crazy. It might be the substances. And it's like, you don't think these are like inherently connected. Like, I feel like these are inherently connected. So ridiculous. Right. I, I completely agree. So then uh, my wife went out and found me another, this is kind of amazing. She went out and found me another therapist who a friend had been using. And I kid you not, this woman was a strict Freudian psycho psychoanalyst, um, which I didn't actually know existed anymore. And I also didn't know that going into this. And so oh she, my literally, God. <laughs> she literally had like one of those couches. Um, and I asked her about it one time. I was like, this is kind of a funky couch. And she was like, yeah, you know, there's like a special, there's like special um, vendors who sell like couches for, for, uh, for psychoanalysts. And the thing about the thing about psychoanalysis and the thing about her was number one, she was very clear that like I had to come in all the time. So I was coming five days a week. Um, <laughs> then, <laughs> I know. Isn't that wild? Five days a week. We don't um, even do intensive outpatient programs in this country that are five days a week. <laughs> so, well, so here's, so the one thing, and this is me owning my privilege is my, my grandmother who is definitely one of the only people in my life who I've ever felt really comfortable around. Um, she had passed, she passed away the first summer of COVID. Um, she was 95. She was ready to go. She was locked in a nursing home and feeling sick and just didn't want to be around anymore, but she left me some money. And so, um, you know, my wife who's pretty supportive um, was fine with using that money too do what had to be done. And so, you know, that's, it's not something that um, I could afford to do now, but we, we spent the money on psychoanalysis and uh, it is, it, it's a pretty wild thing because you, you go in and she would just sit there. Like there were times that I would go in for an hour and like, we wouldn't really talk because she, she doesn't, she didn't ask questions. 
it was just sort of, I was just supposed to say whatever came into my mind, um, which for someone, you know, someone without BPD, I mean, maybe you'd think, well, that could be, that's sort of awkward. But with BPD, like, with BPD, like you're supposed to say whatever's in your mind to someone who, you know, nothing about them. You don't know what their mood is. You don't know how they feel about you. Um, it was a really wild experience. Sometimes it was a really uncomfortable experience. Towards the end, it was an experience that made me really angry because I could feel like there was something really wrong with me, like something that really needed some more specific kind of care and also more practical direction in order. And I felt like things were just, as time went on, I was spending a lot of time on this and a lot of money and things weren't getting better. In fact, in some ways things were getting, I felt like things were getting worse. Um, and I would talk about this with her and say, I feel like things are going really wrong here. Things are going really bad. And then she would just sort of go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and that would be it. And so by the time I left, I was feeling pretty angry at her. Um, but I left because this was this last November. So about seven, six or seven months ago, um, the, the algorithm on YouTube suggested a, a video of um, on something called uh, borderliner notes. Um, there was a, there was a very, very, very brave woman who did a series of essentially sessions with um, therapists who are skilled in people with BPD and they posted them. And then also there were um, videos afterwards of the therapist sort of debriefing and also of the patient debriefing and just talking about their experiences and being interviewed about them. And as much as the article about imposter syndrome was an eye-opening situation, um, this was just times a million. All of a sudden, all the pieces of my life were falling into place. And um, that's when I found your podcast. And so that, you know, really just started to build out that whole universe of like BPD and what it is and putting together all the different pieces of my life that all of a sudden were making sense. Um, Did you know what BPD was? I had never heard of it. And no, no counselor, psychiatrist ever said to you like, well, you have borderline traits. You were like, whatever, nothing. No. And in fact, I had sort of like, over that summer, so the summer of 2021, I had been saying to my psychoanalyst, like, is there, like, I'm thinking about quitting. Is there anything I'm telling you that, like, you feel like, don't quit? Like, <laughs> there's something serious going on here. And, you know, and obviously, instead of answering, she was like, hmm, we'll talk more about why that's important to you to know, you know? And so, um, yeah, it wasn't something I'd ever heard of. I don't know why I clicked on this video. Um, and it was, I mean, I felt so lucky that I did. Um, but the the one thing, and then, and then I think that's sort of all the background is um, I have since in the very recent, in the last month or so, um, I've sort of reevaluated how I feel about the psychoanalysis. And obviously it's not something I can recommend because it's totally out of reach for even for me, uh, you know, and, and I was in a lucky situation, but I think that the one thing that it did for me was being in a situation where there was another human being and I, I literally could not feel like I was manipulating them. I, I couldn't feel like I was like, I had no idea what they were thinking. There was, it couldn't have been less judgment because I, they literally didn't say anything to me. And I just had to say what was in my mind, say what I was feeling, whether it was about what was going on with my day, what was going on with my parents. Um, all of a sudden, like this, like a self actually did start to develop in the sense that it was the first time in my life that I'd been speaking with someone and I could just express what was in me without sort of trying to pattern it on if I say this, are they going to hate me? Are they going to like me more? How are they going to feel about me if I say this? And so um, by the time, so as soon as I saw these videos, I was like, I need to get in DBT. And so I found a DBT program. I have an amazing, 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 amazing individual therapist. And um, I'm about four months into doing uh, group DBT therapy. And you know, I know that it it's not for everybody and partly it's not for everybody because it is very expensive. And so I don't want to make anybody at all feel like if you can't do DBT, there's nothing you can do. But I'm just saying, um, for me, it's been a really, really positive experience. And I feel like I've learned 
um, the skills and the practical nature of it, I think have made already have made a huge difference for me. Um, and I've seen a lot of changes. And I think that the one, the last thing, and, and then I'll, I'll shut up for a second is, um, you know, I think that one of the things that I really appreciate what about what you guys are doing is that I don't think DBT is magic. Like it's not something where you have to like, you know, pay this and then we'll tell you, you know, come to our convention hall and we'll tell you our secrets to how to make money from real estate. It is, it's about being present. It's about getting comfortable with yourself. It's about being comfortable with yourself when you're interacting with people in the world. And so the fact that people like you guys are sharing some of these things with people, you know, to me, that's, that's what really matters in terms of, um, you know, getting, getting those benefits. So. Yeah. I feel like Sarah and I are both pretty honest about the fact that like DBT is so much work. Like it is, you have to go every day or like every day, every session, whatever you have to go, you have to do your homework. You have to practice. You have to realize that like, this is a journey and it's going to go up and down and you're going to not use your skills some days and use your skills others. And like, one of the things that I love about super feelers, not that this is a super feelers promo, but like, you know, you see people go, you know what? I used this skill the other day without even realizing it. And like, that's the goal, right? Is like not having to be like, okay, what are my like 15 skills that I can use in the situation? And it just takes a lot of work. So I'm super glad that you were able to get into a program and that like, I mean, whatever, if psychoanalysts was helpful for you, like, that's awesome, right? Like, it's super interesting to me hearing you talk about it because like, not a super common therapy modality anymore. Um, but whatever works is great. And if it helped you like lead you to, down this path to to this and to a diagnosis, then who cares what, you know, what it was. So you I got, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I actually I mean, like pieces of psychotherapy, not psychoanalysis, but there's pieces of it that are helpful. I wish I had done a few weeks instead of like six months. <laughs> yeah. And also any was- provider that tells you that you need five days a week of individual therapy is absolutely just exploiting you because if a person truly needs five days a week of individual therapy, they need a higher level of care, like a partial hospitalization program or an intensive outpatient program. And an individual therapist cannot provide that. It's good to hear you say that because I was, yeah. that. <laughs> I would, I would, I would report them to the board, but I'm a therapist. So, you know, I have a little, I have more maybe, thoughts on that that I shouldn't necessarily widely I was I was sort of close to doing that I was like I was pretty angry for a while and I think it's more Mm -hmm. it's not that I'm it's not that I'm happy with it but I think I've I'm now at peace with it and I'm really just focused on the positive thing that came out of it is is where I'm at so totally that's a great place to be it sounds like you did end up getting a BPD diagnosis then well, <laughs> so that's sort of a funny story. So she did not want to diagnose me. The, the psychoanalyst did not want to diagnose me. And, and in fact, we sort of had the closest thing to like exchanges we had were her pushing back on it. And right. So in November, I watched this video and I spent like then all weekend just like doing the deep dive, you know, um, and it was just, it was the most amazing, liberating experience of my entire life. Just seeing all these things, just all of a sudden making sense that it's not like, I'm not a terrible person. I'm not, I'm not awful. Like I'm not insane. Cause that was another thing is that, you know, with the way my parents were reacting to these things where it's like, there's nothing wrong. What, what are you talking about? Um, I had real issues with like, there, you know, thinking there's a good chance that I'm just a nut. Like I'm just insane. I'm inventing these issues out of whole cloth. There's nothing wrong. I'm ruining my parents' life by being difficult. And so um, I went back to her that, that Monday and I was like, so BPD, <laughs> let's talk. I've, I watched this video and I'm pretty sure this is me. And she didn't want to talk about it. and. I said, I, I really insisted on it. I was like, you know, I, I really, you know, let's like, I really want to talk about this. Like, do you think I have this? And 
you know, she really didn't want to do it. She, at some point I convinced her to get out the DSM. She was like, fine. Like, well, let's go through the criteria and we ran out of time. And so then I was like, all right, next time we're going to do this. So I come in, she clearly wasn't, she sort of, I, I think if I hadn't brought it up, she wouldn't have, but I was like, no, like let's get out the DSM. Let's go through the criteria. And I made her read them off. And with each one, it was just like this sort of, all these things were coming out and um, for everyone. <laughs> and, you know, she wasn't really reacting. And then even at the end, it's like, she didn't want to, she really, I think never said like, you're right. You have BPD or something, but it was sort of like, I was like, so I seem to meet all the criteria and like, she didn't argue with me, but she really didn't want, she really did not want to tell me that I, that I had this. And that's when I, that's when I really knew I had to go see somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, because the true nature of like a psychoanalysis, like Freudian practitioner would be that if we kind of get to the root of this, like, you know, um, like need space kind of childhood place, then we can free you of your symptoms. And that is the exact opposite of what borderline is, right? It's like a stubborn personality trait. That's not necessarily going to get, go away. Even if we get to the root of your child, like kind of behavior. So there's this huge like difference between ideology. Yeah. And I think also, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. It's, um, I think, I think in her case, it was more, been on that i think in her case she was feeling like there's so many labels put on people and once you put a label on someone then they get sort of boxed into it and so she really didn't she didn't want to put names on things where then as a patient you become sort of committed to like i, I have to fit into this or fit into that when maybe your problems don't or the issues you're having it's a little more fluid than that and i appreciate that but at some point it's like come on like <laughs> can we not like my problem is literally, I feel like people think I'm insane and you're like refusing to be like, no, this, this is an issue. Like you appear to be criteria for this. Let's talk about what the implications of that are. So. Well, and, and that could not like, this is not defending her at all, but just like for additional context, you're a man, men with BPD are often under slash misdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all. That may have something to do with it. And then some providers, and I don't agree with this, but some providers refuse to diagnose because of the stigma, um, which I think is just actually adding to the stigma, but we can, that's another whole conversation. Um, So like maybe there were other reasons that she was kind of neglecting to give you the diagnosis. But the unfortunate thing is like, if the diagnosis is helpful and you're seeking out the diagnosis and it's an accurate diagnosis, which in your case, it sounds like it is, then like, just give the person the goddamn diagnosis. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if they don't want a diagnosis, then that's fine. Like you can respect that and you can just like do your treatment accordingly. But if people are seeking it out and they fit the criteria, give them the diagnosis. God. So should we talk about um, being a parent? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Good call. So you, you were like, let's say you found out you had BPD in the last, since COVID two years. Right. So you've been parenting for, more time than that, obviously. Um, what has that looked like for you? And, and how do you find BPD like intersects with your role as a parent? Yeah. So I think that, um, knowing about BPD and then more so, you know, engaging with the DBT, DBT skills or just you know, engaging with BPD in general um, has made, it's made me, I mean, it's made me a better parent, fortunately. Um, And it's also, it's also, I think, given me a lot of hope around enjoying being a, being a parent, because I think that's like one of the things that, um, look, doing a lot of things with BPD is difficult. Being a parent is no different. Being a parent with BPD is really, really hard particularly I think when you don't know um, or you don't buy into how hard it's making it for you, um, which 
you know, fortunately for people who are listening to your podcast, they at least aren't unaware of what BPD is. But even when you know what it is, sometimes I think it's hard to really buy into like, I'm being so hard on myself here, or this is a painful experience. And it's not just because it's a difficult experience, but because of particular issues that that I have with, with BPD. And so, um, you know, for, for example, like one of the, one of the, the really toughest things I think for me about being a parent with BPD is that, um, you know, your, your kids are, so I, I think, as I said, my sort of mode of BPD is, especially now is like, I just, I just want to hide out. Like, I don't want to show, I don't want to show anything about myself. I don't want to know. I don't want anybody to sort of crack into like what's inside me because I feel so much shame and so much, much guilt about the thoughts that I have and, you know, the sort of mistakes that I think I'm about to make or, you know, that essentially like if, if I let anything out or if I engage with anything, all of a sudden, all these people in the world, people that I know, strangers are going to see just what a terrible person I am, what a terrible parent I am, how little I know about how life is supposed to work and all these things. And so the hard thing then is about having a kid is, um, you know, I think I viewed my kids and I don't think, I, I suspect this is not an uncommon experience for people with BPD as not as their own people, but essentially as part of me sort of sticking out into the world. And the thing about kids is you can, you're responsible for them, but you can't control them. I mean, you can try, um, but at the end of the day, like they're out there, they're out there saying stuff, they're out there, you know, doing, doing their own thing. And, um, you know, it's really, it makes it really hard when you feel like every time they step out the door, it's not just if I screw something up then everyone's going to know that I don't know what's going on. But if my kids make a mistake, if they break a rule, if they say the wrong thing, you know, don't say thank you at a birthday party or something like that. Like it's, it's not just that like, Oh, you know, they, I need to teach them about saying please and thank you or closing their mouth when they're eating at a restaurant or something. But like, people are going to be like, Oh yeah. Like I see this, you know, I was right. He, he's, he's a bad parent. He's, he doesn't know what he's doing. And not only that, he's probably a bad person. Um, so, you know, that I, that is one of the things that um, I feel like knowing about BPD and then learning some of these skills and um, has really opened me up, I think, in, 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 in particular, just coming to, coming to a real hardcore belief that, you know, my kids are their own people and they're, they're still young. They're not teenagers yet. Um, they're not, they're not toddlers, but, um, you know, they're in that grade school, middle school age where, you know, they're starting to, starting to feel things out. They're starting to have their preferences, which some of which I don't understand. Like they're just, I, I don't, I don't understand some of the shows they like to watch and the games they like to play. Um, or, you know, it's like, why, why are you buttoning your shirt all the way up to the top button? But like, if that's what they want to do, then it has nothing to do with me. And it's just them being, trying to be expressive of themselves and um, coming to that realization and really believing it, I think has really reduced the stress of, of being a parent with BPD for me. And, and so that's, that's been, that's been one of the, one of the bigger sort of things that, that has come out of, you know, in particularly recently, um, you know, I think like one, one sort of example of that, and this is, this is an example from my childhood, but so, you know, my dad was the kind of person who he had very specific ideas about how, how real men acted, what real men looked like and what they wore. And so there were like, there was a lot of lists of things that like couldn't be done or, you know, so when I got to junior high school, um, this was in the nineties. The so, you know, grunge was in and like guys were growing their hair out and like 
doing stuff like that. So I, you know, grew my hair pretty long and like, I definitely had like some hemp ropes and beads in my hair and stuff like that. And just really, I mean, you know, I think that in general parents, it's not to say that every parent is upset about this has BPD or something, but I remember like my dad saying essentially like I couldn't, he couldn't be seen with me in public with long hair because he might run into, you know, business colleagues or people that, you know, knew him from the community. And it would be a real, it would be a real hit. Essentially it would be a real hit to his reputation if, if people saw me out in public. And at the time, I think I was just sort of like, Oh, you know, that's apparent, uh, you know, these damn kids with their long hair and their loud rock and roll or something. But, but the more like recently, I mean, I think I've been feeling like, no, like he really felt, he really felt like it wasn't just sort of like a, you know, kids aren't supposed to have long hair, but it it was really like, oh my God, if this person, this person is me in a different body. And if the, if, if, if my son goes out there with this long hair and my business colleagues, you know, run into him and see this, like they're going to, they're going to know that I'm they're They're going to, they're going to have all these bad things that they believe about me confirmed. Um, and that's like, that, that's a really hard way to be. A, that's a really hard way to think um, when you're trying yeah. to be a parent. I really appreciate you saying that. Cause it's really validating to me. Um, my mom is very image based, like in the same way, like professionally, like she's quite um, big in her profession. And, and it was always like, you know, we have to act normal and like, everything's okay. And I don't think that people that haven't had that experience, like realize how traumatic that can be when you're constantly feeling like you're not good enough to be your own person, or like you have to kind of fake it till you make it all the time. And you're a child, like, yeah, we all fake it till we make it like professionally. Right. Like that's, that's how you survive in the world. But yeah, I just really appreciate you saying that because it validates me to know that like that stuck with you as well. Cause it sticks with me every day. Not yeah. that I wish that on anyone, but <laughs> I, I have to second that I, and I was going to say, I know that both Lori and I really resonate with this in very different ways, but um, like my parents are not like, like how you physically present image based, all of that kind of, I don't think they pay that much attention to that, but my little brother and I were hiking yesterday and we were talking about how like my dad, his business partners really believed that I had a husband, you know, like my parent, my dad has never come out to these people that he owns a a business with that he has two gay kids. And it was like, I, you know, I was 27 when I was like, oh yeah, yep. You know, my husband does X, Y, and Z. Like, I'm like, I'm bold face lying to these people because my dad's too afraid to say he has gay kids. And that is mortifying. And it does absolutely stick with you your whole life. And for, for us, like people who are predisposed to shame, right. In such a profound way. And that's one of the things that I'm taking away, um, Daniel from this podcast episode is that, like you experience shame in a way that closes you off from the world, right? Like if you let it, if you don't fight it using your DBT skills. And so when we have that reinforced by the people that are supposed to love us inherently and accept us inherently, it's really, really damaging. Yeah. A hundred percent. You had, you had to actually, like it wasn't just that you found out your dad was telling people this. You had to actually like lie to people and say that you had a husband. Yeah. One time I was at the start of the pandemic before I was divorced, I was going bananas, um, working at home. And so I called my dad and I was like, yo, can I come from Portland to Vancouver and take up some office space in your, in your business and see my clients remotely? Cause I can't keep doing this for my, uh, my house. And, um, so I went over there and this, uh, contractor that my, uh, that I've known my whole life, like, cause my dad's owned his business for 20 years. He was like, I heard you got married. And I was like, Oh, you know, yeah, I did. And he was like, what's your husband do? And I was like, um, yeah, my husband is, uh, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada. And, um, the day, like a few days after I got engaged, my dad took my ex-wife and I to, a 
brewery that he had like built. He, he's a, he owns a construction company and he introduced my wife to my, my now ex-wife to the gal that was pouring beer that he knew really well as my friend. And it was this profound moment where I like went into the bathroom and I cried because I was like, I can't believe we're still doing this. You know, like, like it was one thing when I was 18 and I was like still hanging out around my parents' house a lot. And he was like, you can't kiss a girl in the cul-de-sac in front of other kids, like young kids that are riding their bikes around here. And then to be like, I'm 20, we're still doing this a decade later, you know, like, like I voted for my right to marry Chad 10 years ago. I can't believe you're still fucking doing this to me. So anyways, yeah, it's just, you know, and I know Lori lives with that every day as well. And it's just so damaging. It is. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I've come to recently, I think with regards to this, because it's, it's not easy to let go of, you know, even though, I mean, I've look, you know, it's, even though I've felt the, the damage, I think we all have of being in those kind of situations. It's still then hard when you're trying to raise your own kids and you have these, these same feelings, because again, they're not coming from, at least in my case, I can only speak to myself, but in my case, the feelings aren't coming from, I need you to do things the way, the way I say, just because I need to control you, but it's coming from a very, it's coming from this place that we've been talking about it. I am so ashamed of what's going on inside me and you are about to give it all away. <laughs> and, and, and so I think that like one of the things that has really helped is, you know, as, as a parent, you cannot just, especially when, you know, especially before they sort of become adults or at least older is like, you can't just sort of set them and forget them. You, you have to guide them. You have to, you know, because given, you know, left up their own devices, you know, my kids would uh, eat Oreos and play video games all day long. And, uh, you know, that, that would not be good. So you have to guide them. But I think it's doing a real clear eyed look at wh- where are the places, just picking, picking some places that you can lean into them asserting themselves as their own person, you know, so you know, and, 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 and really it's thinking about like, are there some things that like, I'm not super into, I'm kind of annoyed by, you know, is it a song they like? Is it, you know, something like that. And can I, can I just like show some interests and just lean, you know, lean into a place where they're, they're not doing something that's what I want them to do, but they're doing their own thing. And I can, be supportive of that and again it's not it's not like trying to jump all the way to like you be you i'm going to support you 100 percent, and i have to i'm going to be totally happy with this and and um not ashamed all the time but it's starting small um so so for example we were traveling recently and you know it's just sort of like a place where there's a lot of history and it's like pretty it's like a distinctive kind of place um and, you know, we had told the kids they could each have like 20 bucks while we were there to buy on the trip to buy souvenirs with. So they could just spend it however they wanted. It's like my daughter was looking at these sort of cheap octopus stuffed animal things, which, I mean, you can get those where we live. You can get those anywhere. They're made in a way where they're probably going to fall apart within a few days, but like also you know, they're the price is jacked up beyond what they should possibly be because it's like sort of a tourist destination. And, you know, I made a decision that like, I think, you know, two or three or four years ago, I would have been like, oh, like, you know, do you really, do you really want that? Like, don't you want to get a souvenir that's going to like remind you of this place? And like, don't, don't get that, get this thing. And it I probably, to be totally honest, wouldn't have done it in a way that was like very nice. I probably would have been kind of passive aggressive about it and probably would have made her feel kind of bad. And I made a decision of like, it's her money. And like, not only am I going to just, not only am I going to passively just let her do this, but it's like, once she got it, you know, I was like, Hey, that's really cool. You know? And then sort of playing with her with it and just, um, just in little ways, just lean into letting, lean into the whole situation of very specifically letting them be their own person um, in situations where it doesn't, there, there's no danger. I think bad's going to happen. 
like they'll spend the money, but like that's what it was there for. It was for them to do it. And um, so that that I think has really helped um, me to enjoy parenting a lot more because especially you know when, when they're really tiny, you know they there's sort of a limit to what they can do. And then when they're older, they don't really want to be around you. And so there's there's really limits to how much you can, you know, they, they don't really want to show you their stuffed animals anymore. But mm-hmm. at this sort of middle age, um, there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, for them to play a song that they like for you. And instead of being like, oh, my God, this is the most annoying song I've ever heard. It's about a cat flushing the toilet or tacos from <laughs> raining from the sky or something. You know, I can like sing along and um, it's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice way to change that energy in the parent child relationship. I think. That's beautiful. How do you deal with the emotion regulation for yourself as a parent and watching a kid? I find, so I'm, I'm not a kid person, right? Like there are kids in my life that I love dearly, but I'm very happy to give them back to their parents after like an hour. I find children to be so incredibly like triggering or exhausting. I'm not really sure what the exact word that I would use is, but just like really difficult for me because every emotion that they have, I feel like I have in, but I can't do anything about their emotion. And it's just that part to me, like, even as like an auntie who's like, you know, giving their kid back <laughs> at the end of the day, like I find that completely exhausting. I can't even imagine having BPD and parenting. So what is that experience like for you? It's, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, and it's not, um, I, everything you're saying is something that I experience. I think that, you know, one of the things that I, that I have gone back and forth on whether I was going to say today but I think it's important to say because I suspect that it's a feeling that a lot of people with BPD have is like the feelings you're describing. Just because you have kids, it doesn't go away. There were a lot of times. I mean, there are there there still are a lot of times when I would just rather be by myself. It's like the kids are exhausting. I don't want to spend my time or energy on them. I just kind of want to hide out with a book or do my own thing or sleep or. And you can't really talk about that with people. Nobody, like, parents don't sit around and just like, you know what? I just find kids exhausting. And I really don't like being a parent. Like it's, you know, and, um, you know, it's, and you're more surrounded by people who are, you know, the first time I discovered what love was, was when my son was born and all these things. And like, I'm not like, part of me does want to roll my eyes, but it's like, look, if, if for people out there who believe that, that's great. but. I think, especially as a person with BPD, um, that's not my experience of being a parent. And it's pretty isolating to feel like um, if you express anything like those kinds of feelings, I find my kids kind of exhausting. Like sometimes I want to put them to bed. Like I put them to bed early because I don't want to be around them anymore. Like on, you know, sometimes on the weekends, like I want to get them out to activities or over to a friend's house so that I don't have to be with them um, because it's exhausting. And um, hopefully for people listening, if they're feeling the same thing, um, there's some benefit to just hearing that like, that's, you're not alone in, in feeling those feelings. And, and I think it's also possible to, to accept that those are ways you feel while at the same time, you know, wanting to, wanting to, to um be present with your kids um i think those are two things that you can live with both of those but i think that in order to do that you know the things that i found are important are number one being as healthy as as you can be um so and and part of that is things like you know making sure you're getting exercise and fresh air um but also it's it's things like um making sure that you're taking time to um to do things for yourself and not feeling guilty about it. So it's like if I'm gonna if, if I'm gonna read a book, read a book. Like don't don't feel guilty about what you should be doing with your kids instead. Like, you know, if you're gonna, you know, take time for yourself, take time to be with friends and do real adult things. In other words, don't I don't think it's I, I think I think you're I think that things would be much worse for me if I was like 
God damn it. I'm, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be a super parent. And like, I, like, I need to be with my kids 24 hours a day to like prove that, like, I can get over some of these feelings sometimes about, about being a parent and finding kids exhausting. And rather it's being kind to yourself, taking care of yourself. And, and that I think can help. At least it's helped me to create the space then where when it is time to be with them, I can really be present, you know, that it's like, I don't, it's, it's not so that in, in both parts of my life, when I'm with them and when I'm without them, I'm getting more out of both of those things by not sort of struggling, making them be in conflict with each other. Um, I wish that I could be one of those parents who's just with, you know, just present with my kids all the time, but with BPD, it's just not possible. And I think that's like kind of harm reduction, right? Like it would be more dangerous to your children if you tried to be around them 24 seven, because you wouldn't be regulated. And that would be, you know, like maladaptive to their attachment and you would feel guilt and shame. And it would reinforce all of these like gnarly yucky parts of border being borderline. And so like, I think that that's super important to highlight that actually if you spend less time with your children, but more regulated, like time that allows for you all to securely attach in the long run, that's more beneficial than trying to force time that is not effective. I doubt it. That is, that is so well put. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I, that I wrote down before when I was sort of thinking about um, getting ready for, for today is, you know, kids are a hundred percent present. Their whole lives are lived in the immediate moment. You know, that's why like getting them like concert tickets or something for a birthday present doesn't work because like, if it's not happening now, like it's not, it, it's not really happening for them. Whereas I think for, for me, um, the way BPD works for me is that, um, or at least before I, you know, started really getting into actual treatment for BPD is none of my life was lived in the present, <laughs> like literally zero. And one of the biggest benefits that I've gotten from DBT, but it's certainly not something that is remotely exclusive to DBT is the emphasis on figuring out ways to be present, you know, noticing, noticing your body, focusing on your breathing um, and just learning how to um, in those, in those times when, you know, you're, if I'm going to be with my kids now, um, it's, I find that I'm able much more than before to not be sort of thinking about, Oh, what's the next awful thing that's about to happen to me? Like um, that I have to get ready for, you know, what, what disaster is going to happen at work tomorrow morning? Um, or just sort of like, this is exhausting. Um, you know, I feel like at any moment, you know, my kids are going to do something that's going to expose what a terrible parent I am. I just want to get out of this situation. I'm really able to, to be, just be present in some of those situations with them. And that has also just been a, one of the biggest things I think that anybody can do as a parent is just learn how to be more present. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. We're kind of nearing the end of our time, believe it or not. Um, but Question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm like, I was thinking like we could probably go on for hours to be honest with you, or we could have you back. But if you have more questions, Sarah, go for it. Can I just be a little bit selfish? Am I allowed? Yeah, you're allowed, but I'm going to go grab myself a donut while you're talking. Oh my, I'm very is, hungry. It, is it a maple bar? Is it a maple I'm not, bar? I don't know. I'm not sure. I have oh. eight donuts to choose from. I'll be right back. Maple bar. Okay. So these, this is, I told you at the beginning of this recording, I'm deep in the morning of the fact that I'm not going to be a mom phase in my life. I'm 28, going to be 29 in a few short months. My body wants to mother, right? Like it wants to mother. I feel great. Like I feel cravings all the time. And I have, and I'm a very like a maternal person. So it brings me a lot of joy to like care for others and, um, whatever. Anyways, 
but your experience parenting is very different one because you're male, right? So you don't have that like biological pull maybe in the same way that women do. I don't know. That's my understanding, but also that you had board, you had your borderline diagnosis after having children. And so like my, if I didn't have borderline and if I didn't have this like very complex intergenerational trauma that my family has, I would 100% be a mom and I would be I would have like six kids. I would stay at home if I could, like we would be outside romping around all the time. And I would experience such joy from that, but that's not the reality of my life given my borderline diagnosis. And like, um, you know, this like complex intergenerational kind of trauma piece, because the reality is that like when we parent children, they don't give consent. Right. And that's been one of the hardest things that I've had to name in my life is that I'm not suicidal. Right. But if I was given consent to be born or not be born, I sure as fuck would not do this shit. I I'm out, give it to someone that wants it and is going to experience a fuckload more joy than I am. Right. So what advice do you have for people who are really struggling with that? Like if I ask, I have an IUD, but I sometimes take a pregnancy test just to be like, maybe something went wrong and I hope it's pregnant. And then like, I can do this and it won't be my fault. Um, what kind of advice do you have for people that are really struggling with the decision to parent or not parent as a result of their borderline diagnosis? And not to say that people with borderline can't be amazing parents. Obviously we just talked about how you can do that but I don't personally want to expel the energy that I would have to expel as a person with borderline parenting. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, and I think, look, you know, I want to put aside, um, cause just, just so I don't, cause look, you know, um, there are issues, you know, some people just can't be parents. And so I want to be really, really sensitive about that. Um, but, you know, I think that I think that if you have a diagnosis, that's a good thing because then you can be aware of, um, you know, your what you have to do in order to be healthy, and you can be more aware of: is this like, am I feeling pressure? because of something real, not to, not, not real, but, you know, because of like something that's like worth responding to, or is it something that's coming from like, you know, my family, it, you know, in, in other words, is it, what is it that's really acting on me? Um, but I also think, you know, I think that, um, I think people with BPD can be great parents. I think that one of the things that you guys have um, helped me to see is, you know, uh, because people with BPD are, tuned into people's emotions and can feel great empathy for people. Um, if like, if, if we're able to be open and honest with ourselves about the situation. So without a diagnosis, it's really hard to do, but once you get the diagnosis and you've started moving on your journey towards um, trying to have to, you know, make some, make some progress towards feeling happier. I think that like, I think it's possible to be a really terrific parent with, with BPD. And I think that the fortunate thing these days is that, you know, it's not one of those things where if you don't have a kid by the time you're 22, you're going to be a social outcast. And, or if you don't have a kid by the time you're 30, then biologically it's impossible. I mean, we have friends now I'm in my mid forties and we have friends who are having their first kid now and, um, or they're, so I guess what I'm saying is that if you're, you know, if someone is not ready or doesn't feel ready emotionally, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but maybe someone could feel, you know, I think that there's nothing about having BPD um, that particularly once you know what's going on and once you have that awareness, there's nothing that can keep you from, and in fact, I think there are some things that could make someone a really great parent. Yeah, no. And I, 
I totally agree. Like I see so many of our super feelers that are parenting in such beautiful, profound ways. Um, it's really cool to witness. I just have very unique, complex intergenerational trauma, a ton of, um, sexual trauma within families and those kinds of things that has really profoundly impacted me. And I could not imagine having a child and trying to parent them as a result of those family dynamics. And, um, but, but, but really the B, the BPD part for me is like, man, I would be so exhausted trying to parent. I don't know how I would work. And I don't know how I would get outside into the world and do the things that I love that would like make me parent well. You know what I mean? It's just like you have to have, you already have to have a village and I don't have a village because I also isolate. But yeah, you would have to work so hard. I can't even fathom how hard you would have to work parenting with borderline. And yes, you could be the best parent totally. And your children could be super well adjusted and securely attached and not experience any trauma with a borderline parent. but man, it is so hard just to get up every day and go myself. I don't know how people parent with this experience and I'm way medicated. Likewise. (laughs) It's not easy. I think that, um, you know, but at the same time, it is something too, where, you know, there's something about, it's like I wake up in the morning and I'm just feeling terrible. And the last thing I want to do is get out of bed and you know, it's like the kids got to go to school. They got to have breakfast. They got to get their hair brushed. They got to put their shoes on. I got to make a lunch. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that anyone should like view children as like their like therapy pet or something, but there, there are, it's like you have to, there's just no choice. And so it's not always easy. I'm not saying I always succeed at that. But there are times when I know that I would just be like just a ball of depression hiding out. But um, you find that energy. It comes from somewhere that's hard to imagine before you have kids, I think. And your priorities shift greatly, right? Like your priority is them in a lot of ways. And I think like for me, I don't. I don't want my priority to be somebody else. Right. And like, that's just like a personal choice. And I know that my dad has called me selfish for it in the past and he's totally respectful of my decision to not have kids. But I think like, yeah, you just survival is your kids now. Right. Like I loved how at the beginning of this episode, you explained them as like an extension of yourself in the world. Um, Which to me sounds terrifying because I I'm like, oh my God, like that's like twice as many people that can be abandoned and twice as many people that can get hurt. And like, I I don't know how you manage that, but you clearly do somehow. I'm trying. Getting better at it, I think these days. So, which is a really good feeling. And And there's also, you know, if there's one parting message that I would say, it's just that, you know, I think that things can change and everybody knows it's, it's a roller coaster ride. And, but at the same time, you know, I think I'm living proof that um, things can seem pretty hopeless and then um, you can start to figure things out and um, that it's possible to have a really, to, to really find a path to, uh, to both have BPD and also, you know, start to really enjoy parenting and, um, and make, you know, make some, make some changes um, in a way that, that make it a much, a much better experience, both for me and I think for my kids as well. Amazing. We, Sarah, did you have more questions? No. Okay. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. And I know that like, this is probably one of our most requested episodes is having somebody talk about parenting with BPD and you've just done a great job explaining the positives and negatives of it and how you manage and, it was really great to hear about your story as well. I think it's a type of trauma that people don't necessarily acknowledge. And it totally, I mean, it's literally an invalidating environment that can cause BPD and um, that will resonate with a lot of people as well. So 
thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And um, we may need to have you back (laughs) because I think there's probably a million other questions that we could ask. Anytime. uh, It's been, the the pleasure has been all mine. You guys are, you guys are heroes of mine. And uh, I'm just so, I'm just uh, so grateful to you guys um, every day. And vice versa. We couldn't do this without everybody else or else it would just be us talking to each other all the time. It would be really awkward. It would be awful. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Well, thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. Of course. And have a great day. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline, and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.